Hello church family. Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 17 verse 16 to 34. And um, as we begin through this, just by reminder of where we're at in the book of Acts, um, Paul in chapter 17 is, uh, he, was, he was flogged and he was uh, captured and um, you know, the people there, uh, um, the Jews, uh, were jealous of the ministry that they're having and mainly I think it's because of how the Gentiles are now grafted in, and these Jews did not like that type of message because they saw themselves as a superior group of religious people, and uh, they were trying to look for Paul to kill him. And um, they, it says here earlier that they went through the uh, house of Jason, which probably is a Gentile Christian or Jewish, or is probably Jewish. Sorry, he's probably a Jewish Christian, and um, you know they try to figure out where he is, and uh, they interrogated him. Uh, and couldn't find Paul, and uh, obviously the Jews were trying to make uh, some sort of lie. They said that in verse seven that they're that Paul is trying to teach something that's different from uh, Caesar, and there's and in claim that there's another king in Jesus. And although that is true, that's not what they meant. Uh, obviously, Paul is not against the government. We see that in Romans chapter thirteen. Um, but the, what they're trying to get at here is just the Jewish people were trying to get the government to find Paul to stop, get him to stop preaching the gospel. As as Paul was doing that, he met a bunch of people in Berea who um, who uh, were noble, and the reason what made them so special was that these uh, these people sought to study the scriptures for themselves. They tried looking in the te- the scriptures and try to see if what Paul is saying actually lines up with the Old Testament. And uh, that uh, those people end up being saved, and when they get saved, they become you know there's a church. So over time, we see that how the church is just constantly being built from Berea to Thessalonica to uh, Philippi, all of these different places that Paul's visiting. He would spend some time evangelizing and ministering to the people there. They would get saved and they would start a church. But Paul here at this point was being chased out, so um, you know by the mob, and the result of that is that he had to, he separated from both Luke. Uh, and Tim, uh, Luke, Timothy, and Silas, and in a lot of ways, he's kind of by himself, and that's where the story picks up. He he escapes, uh, and as he's uh, um, here in Athens, uh, he's moved by the Lord to continue to minister and share the gospel with uh, people there. So let's look at verse sixteen. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his, his spirit was being provoked within him as he as as he was observing the city full of idols. Paul here at this point is just waiting. He's waiting for, um, it says in early on that he, he's waiting for Paul, for Timothy and Silas to come. And uh, as he's doing all of this, this is probably in a few days, he, he found himself um, confronted in Athens by all of these fake gods. And what moved him was that he really wanted to go and um, witness to them. He says the city was just filled with idols. And... Um, and this is really show you the condition of the city, that Athens was known for their polytheistic religion, and they even have a statue there as to the unknown god, as we see in, in, in Mars Hill later on this, uh, in this portion. And he's there, he's trying to share the gospel. He see, he's just bothered, he's moved by this. Now, he's bothered because he's, he, 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 he doesn't want God's glory to be thwarted. Uh, he doesn't like the idea that someone's trying to steal God's attention. Um, uh, he knows that God of the Bible is the one true God, and all these fake religions that are there are trying to get people to believe them, and it bothers Paul. 
Now the question for us, when we look at how our society is and, and here in the Bay Area, where there are indeed a whole a bunch of different movements that are very anti-God, you know, what, what, what drives us? What, 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 what do we feel when we think about and see these things? Um, we should be like Paul here that is just broken by it. You know, Paul's not angry because he thinks like, oh, I'm right for the sake of being right. He knows he's right because he's worshiping the right God. He doesn't want these people to to know, to live life without the one true God. And that's what bothers him. He's, he's bothered by the fact that uh, you know, God's glory is being robbed, but he's also bothered by the fact that these people are being lied to. And Paul, his ministry was trying to go to, you just start sharing the gospel with them. We see verse 17. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God of, and the God-fearing Gentiles in the marketplace every day uh, with those who happened to be present. So he was there, he, he felt moved to go, uh, and he starts you know, witnessing people, and he starts uh, having these debates with uh, Jewish, uh, this religious Jewish class, so that he can, you know, get them to repent, verse 18. And also, and also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babble or wish to say? Others, others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. There's a lot here in this text, verse 18, but just to um, get you to understand that Epicureans were people that believed that um, uh, that everything happens by chance and that uh, they even, in terms of God, they believed that God made the world and just stepped away from it. Um, so the result of that is that, well, if everything is... Uh, you know, random, everything happened by chance, then you might as well just enjoy the pleasure in this world. So they really focus on trying to live for pleasure. And then the other end, the Stoic, these are the people that believe that everything is God. And really, they, if everything is God, then they don't believe in any true God, which makes them kind of like the atheists. Uh, they're fatalists in that they believe that everything is predestined. So uh, if everything was set in one way, then you could just be Stoic. It's just don't worry about life. And in this case, Paul is again talking to these people, and they're wondering uh, what would you know what does this idle babbler, which is again this is a way for them to show that uh, you know the, the, the that Paul was not from their school or from their tribe, and the, what results in that is that they're picking on him. And you're wondering what does this person have to say? And inside your Bible, some you it says one who makes his living by picking up scraps. So basically, they're trying to talk him, talk down to him. Um, it makes people think uh, that he knows nothing. That's what they're trying to get. Uh, it says that he's he that what Paul seems to be saying is like, oh, he's stealing all of these ideas from all these all these other religions and just making this new religion. And, and this religion that Paul makes seems to talk about this person named Jesus coming back to life. And and you know the resurrection is a big deal because the Epicureans and the Stoics do not believe in in that. It's just kind of like this is just all that there is, and that's that. Um, they were not amused that Paul. Uh, they were I mean, in a lot of ways. They were they were amused. Sorry, they they were really amused by what Paul had to say because it's kind of like, oh, there's a new god that you come up with. Uh, it's been said that that Athens just has so many more gods than there are even people. So it's kind of like the way India is now. There's just so many false deities all over the place. That's like there's a god for everything. There's a god for grain and rice. There's a god for the leaves. There's a god for the sand. There's a god for everything. And that's what Athens was like. And Paul, when he saw these people, was broken by it. And he was trying to win them to Christ. Verse 19, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, uh, uh, saying, May we know that this new teaching is uh, which you are preaching, or which you are proclaiming. For you are... Uh, bringing strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. 
Now all the Athens that the strangers being sitting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So this tells you what uh, uh, what they like. You know, they're here at the era Bacchus, uh, and he's basically just preaching to them, and he's trying to witness to them. He's trying to win them to Christ, and they just I guess it's just normal for people to go here to hear about spiritual things. So Paul here in verse twenty-two, he's in, he's in Marsilis. That's what actually what Arabach is mean. It's just that's just another way of saying hill of Aries or Mars Hill. Uh, verse twenty-two. So Paul stood in the midst of uh, the Arabach and said, "Men of Athens, observe. Uh, I observe that you are very religious in all respect." And you know, I think Paul's being sarcastic here. Like they they're religious in the sense that they that they want to learn or claim to be seekers of truth, and that's like our world too. They claim to want to know what divine truth is and sometimes they instead of looking outward though they're looking inward uh, but it's the, you know the claim is religious spiritual life but really they aren't they're not worship they're not really seeking the real god and paul here is trying to you know convince them otherwise that they're that what they believe is is a false god for 23 for a while i was passing through and examining the objects of your worship i also found an altar with an inscription to an unknown god therefore what you worship in ignorance this I proclaim to you. And this is um, interesting because Athens had a statue that's basically in t- 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 designed to say, like, if there's any other gods out there that we haven't mentioned, he will have this little place here. That's like to the unknown god. So they believe that there's probably more out there that they don't know. Verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gave to all people life and breath and all things. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed time and boundaries of their habitation, uh, that they were would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from one, from each one of us. So here it's actually really interesting that Paul is really using history and, and talking about the, how God created all things. He 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 doesn't he he's the one who creates all things. You don't need to create him. And that's the contrast he he does here, verse twenty four and twenty five. That he's not made by human hands. Rather, God made the those human hands, and um, he doesn't need anything. Uh, he's the one who gives to all things. And from one man, he determined all the, where all humans come from. This is again. This is actually a, a interesting th- thing that he speaks of the historicity of God, of of Adam. You know, he's saying that Adam is a real person. That through one person, every man came into earth, and that he even placed this desire in us. You know, Romans chapter one in Ecclesiastes speaks about how the law is written in our heart. So we know what right and wrong is. But we even know that eternity is set in our heart. So these are all ways for which for humans to try to seek and desire him. And it says here at the end of verse 27 that though he's not far from each one of us, um, and it's fascinating because God knows who truly wants to know him. Uh, and the reason why they want to know him is because obviously whether, whether you believe that God willed it into them, uh, God elect them, or that they somehow in in part of them that they, they want to learn that they sought, you know, that's a human responsibility first divine sovereignty. We don't know the answer to that. But, Peter, but those who genuinely do want to seek the Lord, the Lord will make it obvious to them. Sometimes the non-believers that you'll encounter in your life are actually seeking. 
and you need to be willing to answer and explain to them how the way that Paul does. Here, explain who the God of the Bible is in hopes that they can come to saving faith. Uh, there are those that are seeking, and there's sometimes the reason why you encounter certain people is because there's a part of them that like they, they want to know the Lord placed you in their life so that you can answer the questions from the Bible in hopes that they can come to saving faith. Verse 28, For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also, we also are his children. So Paul here is citing a secular poet here, uh, just saying that you know there's there's this even in your secular world you understand understand that you that we belong to a god Bertone, being then the children of god we are not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art and thought of man therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance god is now declaring to me that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in, in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof all that to all men by raising him from the dead. So here, Paul is really calling them to repentance. Here, he's saying that what you think is, um, what you think is, uh, you know, this, this God's sense of wanting to know God, you need to go to the right God. Don't build a God uh, out of your own hands with your precious stones or anything like that. And that God is the is the there's a one God that they don't know about that he, that He's actually telling them that that this is the God you're looking for, He's the one you're waiting for, not these fake gods that you've made with your own hands and with precious stones. The God that you want is uh, is is only in Jesus Christ, and He He even warns them of the judgment that's at play. And when we evangelize, we need to also warn people too that if they reject the message of the gospel that the threats are real, that it's not just something that they can just be loosey-goosey about, that you, you're pleading with them because you believe that the Bible is true and that you want them to know and, and bear, bear down the into their conscience the reality of God's judgment. Now, I know objectively, sometimes people say things like, oh, we shouldn't guilt trip people into the Christianity. And that's true, you shouldn't. But at the same time, that's not saying that you should not point them out the fact that they are indeed guilty before the Lord. Better you now in a time when they could repent as opposed to feeling guilty when they're in front of the holy judge. So just pray for them and minister to them and tell them the, the judgment that is to come. Verse 32, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer by others, saying, We shall hear you, we shall hear you again concerning this. Uh, and this is, you know, some people just don't understand. Some people just are not interested. And that's okay, because look what happened in verse 33. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Some who were Dionysians and Arabagites and a woman named Demarius and other with them. So you could be witnessing to like a hundred people, but maybe just a dozen people get saved. It's those, those dozen unique people there that truly are seeking the Lord. And the Lord may use you in such a unique way that you'll bring them to saving faith. And that's my hope for you uh, this week. As you think about just providentially how God has placed people in your life. That you, know, you pray and you thank God for them and you hope that they're actually seeking and the Lord's going to use you to go and witness to them. I know that's the prayer that I have with um, you know, some of my neighbors. I just, some of you guys know I just moved. I'm praying that the Lord will give me opportunity to share it with them and tell them the love of Christ that they have, that the Lord has for them, and, and even 
pleading with them to accept Christ because judgment is indeed coming. I hope that this would encourage you, equip you as you think about your life, that you will be faithful in making disciples of all nations and bringing them to saving faith. Uh, you're, obviously, you cannot change them, but the only thing you can do is just be an instrument to sow the seed of the gospel in hopes that, they, that the Lord will, will cause a growth and bear fruit in their life. Thanks for listening. Take care and have a great day.